Okay, warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. Hey, warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Zinc. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Unqualified Therapist. I am so excited about this episode. We just had the best conversation with Kate Burns. She is a sexual trauma poet. And I like, I mean, I guess it's a wonderful thing that she's a poet because the way that she speaks is so beautiful. And like everything that she said, I was like, can you just keep talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) We actually went back on and re-recorded so that we could get more of her on air. Yeah, we ended the recording and we were like, actually, could you, you say that one some more of the time? stuff you just said? Because that was gorgeous. Yeah, it's a beautiful conversation and a beautiful piece of work that she created. So she has three books of poetry, one that will be released and published October 1st. And so it will be a trilogy and it is all about healing from the pain of sexual assault, rape and betrayal at the hands of men she knew and trusted. We're going to link her website in the show notes, along with where you can get her book. There is a quote of hers on her website that I just love so much. She says, I do not write poetry indeed. I rather believe that poetry has written me and I am simply on this earth to bleed words into being. She's a beautiful soul. Yes, it's just one example of how eloquently she writes and speaks. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Kate Burns. Before we leave you to that conversation, we really want to make sure that we acknowledge the fact that it is the end of September now, and September was Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Sarah and I both believe that all 12 months are that, but we are going to share in the show notes all of the other episodes that we have done surrounding those topics. And... There is a number now, 988, that you can call or text if you are in a crisis and you need to talk with someone. As always, we'll tell you again, you are worth it. Just remember these moments do pass and we just encourage you to hang on through them. Without further ado, please enjoy this gorgeous conversation. And I couldn't help myself, so I had to ask her (laughs) if she would please be so kind as to read one of her poems for us. So before we jump into the conversation, enjoy this short, sweet, 
and beautiful excerpt from her book, All My Favorite Men Are Dead by Kate Burns. So the title of this poem is I Know That Girl. I know that girl. Her pain is my own, but not mine alone. It's shared by all the women who have suffered and been struck down by the stones sinful men throw. Here's what she says about that poem. It's not my it's not my pain, it's it's shared. It's shared by all of us. The patriarchy, toxic masculinity, it's crushing us all. We are so happy and excited to have Kate Burns with us on this episode of The Unqualified Therapist and so excited to talk with her and share her story with all of you. Yes, Kate, I am so excited to talk to you again. We had the pleasure of spending a little bit of time together and Warriors, you are all in for a treat. Um, You are just a beautiful person in all ways. (laughs) Welcome, Kate. Thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, I am so excited to be here with you guys. I love your podcast, love what you ladies do, and I feel like there cannot be enough awareness brought to mental health. Yes, yes. I appreciate that. Appreciate that and and love the sentiment behind the awareness as well. Kate has a book uh, that we're going to talk about a lot. And so how did you get to that place of writing and publishing a book? Yeah, so I do. I have a book and I still can't believe it some days. Um, (laughs) An entire collection of poetry that deals with almost nothing except for the pain that I've experienced in my life. Um, So that's pretty much how we've got to this point because I, for the longest time, I was like literally that generation right before like they started, you know, sharing with kids and teenagers about like mental health and consent, all these like good things that we have now. And I was like right on the cusp of like, just miss that. So I, um, I was raped in college and, uh, before I even got to college, I was molested by my cross country coach in high school. And I spent almost 10 years of my life after that, just like numbing and repressing and running from and trying to pretend everything was okay when it wasn't. And as anybody who's ever done that can tell you, it, it does not just go away. That's that's not what leads to the happy ending. <laughs> you really do have to just face it and work through it with very qualified mental health professionals. That is the best way. And also yes, like the fastest <laughs> way. I'm like, you. maybe somebody could do it on their own, but I'm sure it would take so much longer. I think it's the difference between putting like an Ikea furniture thing together without the instructions <laughs> and doing it with the instructions. It's like, you can go it alone. Don't recommend. Definitely yeah. don't recommend. It's so interesting because this book um, is titled All My Favorite Men Are Dead. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love very that. Very aggressive <laughs> title. And it's so funny because I get such... It's so funny the reactions I get from women. They're just like, yep, mm -hmm, absolutely, I feel that. And then I get from men, they're like, oh, like very offended, oh, you hate me. And it's like, "Mm, back up, hold on a sec, this isn't about you (laughs) at all. And actually, yeah. And actually the poem itself, it like, if you actually read the poem that that title is based off of, uh, the title of the poem is All My Favorite Men. And it talks to, you know, one therapy session I was in, I expressed to my therapist, like that most of the time it feels like I can't trust any man. Like, I don't know who to trust. I just like, it, it just feels like I can't trust any of them. Like who knows when they're just gonna flip the switch, turn on me and just do something awful. And, you know, she asked, she was like, 
is there any point in any time like any man you've ever trusted that you felt was worthy of your trust? And without getting too much into like my family backstory, like I couldn't even include any of the the men in my family for various reasons. And so I really started to think about it because I really, I really did want to be able to answer that question. I really wanted, because I am a heterosexual female. So like, this is imperative to my potential lifelong romantic happiness that I am able to trust men at some point. <laughs> and I was like thinking and thinking, and it finally hit me. And it was like, oh my gosh, Alexander, or yeah, Alexander Dumas, uh, Charles Dickens, Shel Silverstein, all the authors of all the books they'd ever written. I'm like, they never did they never hurt me they only ever wow. gave me the best stories so the poem all my favorite men is literally about how all like all my favorite men just just so happened to be the dead one. <laughs> my gosh I absolutely love that I have goosebumps so wonderful backstory yes. I love that wow. and I I've been reading Shel Silverstein I read it as a kid and my parents read it to me and then I'm reading it it to my children and now they can read it themselves but he's been a favorite and kind of a staple in my life since growing up that's so that's really cool to hear you mention mention his name as well because his poems have always been so different and quirky and fun (laughs) my late husband loved him because he writes for the outcast yes and uh he um a couple months before he died he actually got the tattoo of one of his poems on his arm um, but like, I think that's what it is. That's great about Shel Silverstein. I can't yeah. believe we got on a Shel Silverstein kick, but I, yeah, he does. He writes for the outcast, the people who don't fit in anywhere. Shel's Shell is amazing. Honestly, like I remember reading his, his poetry as like a little kid and it was like, it was my first like really positive experience with poetry because, you know, as a kid, I really didn't see Dr. Seuss's poetry because he felt more like story. Whereas like Shell was very much like, there's no story here. These are poems. <laughs> right. Is that where your love for poetry began? And did you start writing then as a kid or did you find that later on? Yeah. So what's really interesting is that outside of like almost literally Shel Silverstein, I didn't enjoy poetry. I remember when we started learning it in high school and it was just always this like stodgy, like it, it, like, it didn't seem to make any sense. I loved fiction and novels and I was always brought into that. And so I just like, I couldn't wrap my head around poetry. I didn't understand the point of it. And even when I got to college and I got an English lit degree, I hated my poetry classes. And, you know, I I wasn't really writing any poetry. And then like, I know the exact date. So this is going to sound like a little woo woo, but on January 20th, uh, 2019. It was the night of the blood wolf moon. I know very hippy dippy, but I just, I know that fact and I think it's so cool. Um, you're with the right. Yeah. You're, you're, in the right, you're with the right people here. <laughs> Perfect. I'm like, I love, like, there are so many little facts about that night that like, I just like, I love them. It's like, this is like, this is how I know I'm on the right path in my life because there's so many little woo woo facts about that night that are just insane um but it this is a little bit intense and so you know slight trigger warning um it was it was the night the last time i attempted uh to take my own life and you know thankfully uh, a woman interceded and was able to you know sort of literally get me off the ledge that i was on and um two days later i was awake in bed like i couldn't fall asleep and i wrote my first poem and i have not stopped writing since and i will swear that i'm like this is what's keeping me alive (laughs) once you find the motivating factor that keeps you alive you got to hang on and just keep going and keep doing it so that's that's beautiful 
lot of the times I do think it's a creative outlet. Like, especially like for writing, although I think all creative like outlets for pain and for trauma are amazing, but especially for me, like the fact of like being able to write my truth and, and just, and just share that and put it into words and be able to like feel it and experience it from a, like I'm kind of distanced from it. So it's like, I'm able to like have an easier time it, like instead of being in consumed by it, I'm putting it on the, the page and sort of that's a way of like getting it out of me. So this might just be because I have never really attempted to write poetry, but I just have, I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote a couple of what I intended to be songs when I was okay. in college. So I guess you categorize that as poetry. I'm not yeah. really sure, but I've never really attempted to write it, but those songs I have never shown to anyone. Nobody has seen them. And so is that, is it harder to share poetry than it is to share other types of writing? Because even I get a little it nervous. It feels more like, like intimate, intimate or it, yeah. it just, there's something different about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if I can put the pin on that to say what it is, but how is it? How does it feel to to put this all on paper, bind it to in a book? That everybody's going to be like that. The whole world can there. see it now. Yeah, I honestly think the most beautiful thing I did for myself was that when I was writing for like almost two years, there was never any intention to show anybody. I didn't put it on Instagram or Tumblr. I was doing it completely for me. And it wasn't until I had, you know, friends that I had, you know, kind of like found that I trusted to share it with were like, you know, these are so beautiful and somebody could feel so seen and so validated by like the experiences that you have that you're able to, you know, write. And, you know, they said so well, I, I'll leave that up to every reader to decide how well they think I write it. But um, they were like, yeah, you could really help people. And just they planted a little seed of like, I could potentially help another woman who's hurting the way I'm hurting and who who's experienced what I've experienced and who's lost in all the ways that I felt lost. And that's why I did it. So I guess because I gave myself the time I needed until I was actually ready to share. And I guess because the reason why I'm sharing, like I actually don't care what people think. I'm like, if this isn't for you, cool don't don't read it or tell me you don't like it I don't care but if there's even just one person out there who feels seen and who feels helped in any way because I put this out there and and they don't feel alone anymore that that's every I 100% agree and I think that that solidarity is so incredibly important as we move throughout the world and just even a super short story, I drive for Lyft and today I have a tattoo of a semicolon on my arm and I it's very visible when I'm driving because it's literally on my forearm. <laughs> and the woman in the back seat said to me, oh my gosh, I have the same tattoo. And she got like a little emotional and I just kind of reached back and like we held, like I grabbed her hand and we like squeezed hands real quick. And just that brief moment in that like five minute car ride she felt so comfortable and I felt so comfortable and I felt like I had another connection in the world, you know, of someone that I didn't know previously, that it's not just, you know, because I, now I, you know, I have friends that I can talk to about it, but just having that like stranger yeah. connection, I think is even yeah. more intimate feeling, which might well, sound because weird. It feels more like the collective. Right. And I think that's why we all share 
is so that as a collective, we can say that, you know, we're all hurting Mm -hmm. and, um, and this is how we find healing. And so maybe you can this way too, or not like you can (laughs) throw it out too, whatever you, you know, but it's just another thing and another person to connect with. Absolutely. And I think there's so much healing that happens in that connection. Like you can do healing on your own, but the healing that happens in communion with others is in my opinion, so much more powerful and so beautiful. With your poetry book, Sarah filled me in just a little, but there's something really special about it that's different than most poetry books. So if you want to share that with everyone, I'm excited. I'm totally going to get one because I love that idea. This is really special. And again, it goes back to my reason for why I decided to publish in the first place. My whole intention was to help other women. And I was, as I was in the creation process for this book, I, you know, I was thinking about how much these words meant to me. And I started to really explore, you know, why that was. And it wasn't just because it was truth and it was powerful. And some of them, like, in my opinion, were just like really good and like really stuck at what I was feeling. It was, it was because it was my truth. It was because it was a reflection of my power. And even though my truth and my power could help another woman feel seen or validated or less alone in the world, it would never have the same impact as if it was her truth and her words and her power. So I knew immediately that I wanted to leave every other page of the book blank to leave space for the women who read it and who might be triggered and deeply affected and hurt and and by what they're reading because it reminds them of what's happened to them. I wanted to leave, I wanted to leave actual like intentional space like obviously there's space on the page where they could if they wanted to but I wanted them to know that my intention with this book was for them to be able to work through what they'd experienced and any trauma they were they were yeah suffering from it's beautiful I love that sentiment because Amy and I both write about our own experiences with the intention of helping other women and men and whomever to feel less alone in their journeys and if they've experienced anything similar, to take it from a spot where it's me putting my story on the page and leaving an intentional space for someone to do the same is such a beautiful, empathic sentiment that you've made. And I'm just really thankful for people like you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was like, honestly, it, it's funny because I had all the poems done for the book. It was a matter of putting it together. And it's like the part of the book that actually took me the longest was the introduction where I was like, how do I word this and tell these women who are coming into this book exactly how much they mean to me and how amazing I think they are and, and how much power I think there is in them writing their truth down in order to encourage them to use that space. And it's like, so the introduction actually took me the longest to write because all the poems were already done. So important to share your truth. And I just love that in you sharing your truth, you're giving that space for others to share their own. It's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful way to go about that. Another thing that's like unique about this book specifically is that I, I also don't think most poets do series when it comes to poetry. Like they'll do, they typically have their own genre or their own style and then they'll continue to publish. But this is actually the first in a series of books that I have planned that are going to be published. So this is like the subtitle of this book is A Healing Book of Pain. And so this is just where all of my pain is stored. The grief, the depression, the 
anger, the frustration, the self-loathing, the shame, the guilt, every negative emotion that came as a result of this trauma. And then my second book that's going to be coming out next year, um, which is titled Also Men Are Garbage. <laughs> it's <a> heal- <laughs> There's a there's a theme here. <laughs> but that one's going to, the subtitle of that is A Healing Book of Questioning. And that really starts to explore when I started to work through my pain and I started, you know, to get out sort of on the other side of it, then I started to have questions. And it's so funny because, again, I'm, I love playing with my titles and the assumptions that people make where it's like, you would think hearing also men are garbage that this is an entire book just like trash talking men and actually the poem also men are garbage is one of my favorites because the entire point of that poem is questioning are men garbage because i'd held that belief for so long after they did what they did and the the poem itself is questioning wait a second are men garbage why do i feel that way and is that actual truth so, and then the third book that'll come out is titled Human, and it is my healing book of rediscovery of like working through the pain, answering the questions, and finally mm-hmm. like rediscovering who I am after all of that. Oh my gosh, I love that that journey. Like it's yeah. it's a really cool way to, to put that together. You're very talented. <laughs> yeah. And then your audience can also take the journey too. Yes. Yeah. And that's really what I want to do. It's like, and I didn't want to do that all in one book because I feel like, especially in modern, you know, poet circles and and contemporary poetry, there is so much space for the light and there is so little space for the dark. And if you're suffering from having experienced really awful trauma, things that should not have happened to you, that it was not right in any way, you did not deserve, like, the dark deserves its own space too, because it, it needs to be seen. It needs to be felt. It needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be validated. It can't just be glided over of like, well, why don't you just smile or choose to be happy? It's like, I'm sad for very real reasons. And that's valid. Like, I just want to be like, start singing like a church choir. <laughs> the validation is the one of like the keys to healing speaking the truth and then having that validation like yeah this shit happened yeah and it's okay to hurt from it yeah that validation is so angry it's okay to feel so desperately sad i like your reasoning behind having given that the space that it deserves people try to gloss over that now we make the joke of like what did we say like somebody will come over your shoulder with a live laugh love t-shirt yeah (laughs) if you say mental health in the mirror three times then someone with a live laugh love t-shirt comes in and says have you tried going outside yeah (laughs) and the truth is true healing comes from acknowledging the ugly parts Mm -hmm. yeah showing yourself love in the ugly parts and compassion and yeah 100%. You had said and described how this book is full of your pain, your anguish and suffering. Symbolically, like how does that feel to hold something like that? Oh, I love that you asked this because it was, it was such a, gosh, bittersweet is not the right word, but it, 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 it was the dualities of like, it felt very powerful at one, at at the same time. And then it also made me very sad, almost similarly, like looking back, like anybody who's experienced childhood trauma and had, you know, emotionally neglectful or abusive parents. And it's like, 
you know, on the one hand, recognizing you can give that love to yourself now is like so empowering, but like a little part of you, your heart breaks every time you think of little you and the way they were treated and the reason why you have to like go out of your way to be so much extra and give yourself all this attention and love now and even think about it where some people don't have to think about it. They just do it naturally. And so it's like, it's kind of that same experience of like, oh, this feels really powerful, but it's like also kind of sad of like, wow, I experienced a whole book's worth of <laughs> shit. Yes. Right, right. No, you're fine. <laughs> oh, there's no excuse. Me. It's not necessary. We're good. Because when you were saying that, it was like I had this immediate image in my head and I was like, burn it. Like I would feel yeah. like that if I, <laughs> yeah. once my, pub, my book gets published, I think I'm going to take one copy and just set it on fire. And just oh, as like a that would be so incredible. <laughs> I actually really love that idea. I really love that idea. I am big on burning things. I am yes. so big on burning things. After breakups, I burn like everything. It's a fire. Oh, hazard. I love it. <laughs> That's a fire. Especially out where are you in California? Yeah. 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 Out in in the middle of Los Angeles. Just got my fire yeah. pit going. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So how did you land there? Is um, that where you're from? Did you grow up there? No, I grew up in Las Vegas, interestingly enough. I know nobody grows up in Las Vegas really. Yeah. I lived there for like nine years. Oh, nice. Okay. So grew up in Las Vegas and my family moved out to uh, Southern California uh, during the financial recession. But before I moved to LA, I was actually traveling uh, nonstop for three years. I did about 56 different countries, which sounds really cool. And don't get me wrong. I'm never going to deny that like that isn't sort of an accomplishment in of itself, but I am very aware of the fact that it was my version of like drugs and alcohol. It was my way of numbing. Like I was bouncing from place to place, trying to find a place where I could wake up and not wake up as mm. me. I'm like, where's mm. the place that I can find where I don't have to be me anymore. Yeah. And, Eventually, after 56 countries, realize like, oh, I guess I'm not going to find that. So I've got to a lot of countries. figure out a way to be me. <laughs> you have no idea how much that like spoke to my heart and my soul. Because I always, my first instinct is to run. Um, yeah. um, I oh, haven't. Yeah. I've been here for eight years in the same house, 10 but years don't, here. But don't <laughs> doubt that both of, like, both of us are ready to move. We are so ready to go. <laughs> like, boots on the ground, baby. Let's, let's go. go. <laughs> uh, that is a freaking story to tell. Yeah, it is. It was. I see a little, I away see a little from... memoir going mm -hmm. on there for those three years. <laughs> yeah. Running from myself is probably what I'll call it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Exactly. So LA is where you landed. Yeah. I landed in LA because the pandemic, <laughs> but also it's just so diverse. It's, it's got like, I, I did fall in love with travel as I was, as I was going around and I, and I fell in love with travel even before I went just, you know, full, full on. Um, and I do love the diversity that LA has. And it does feel like there's so many different parts to it. And like, honest, I can genuinely say this after being to 56 countries, I haven't been to all of them. I haven't been to every city, but LA is the most diverse city I've experienced anywhere in this world. Like, yeah, the uh, homogeneity, is that a word? We're just gonna go with it. The homogeneity sure. yeah. <laughs> in the rest of the world is like surprising. Like Western Europe is actually pretty diverse, um, but like, 
yeah, in almost all the other parts of the world, it's like, it's not a lot of diversity. And it's like, I don't know why that shocked me as much as it did. <laughs> Those are places you can actually be yourself. And it's okay because yeah. there's so many other people who are so many different people, right? Mm -hmm. So at some point, like there's going to be somebody else who uh, you don't stand out, I guess, mm -hmm. as yeah. much like a sore thumb. Right. Yep. And just like being able to witness all the different ways in which people can live life for somebody like me who's felt so lost for so many years. It's such like a, it's such a breath out, like an exhale of like, there's no wrong way to do this for life because there's no right way to do this life. And you see that every day, you just walk out your front door and there's like 10 different people all living 10 different ways in LA. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Yeah. I agree. I was listening to something earlier um, and they were talking about how we need to keep looking for the good in the world because, you know, everybody kind of thinks that everything's sort of going downhill and, and a lot has changed. Well, a lot has changed. And they pointed out, and I've always asked myself this question. I think, Amy, you and I have had this discussion before. Like, is everything getting worse or do we just have more access to information yeah, to we, know? We do ask ourselves that a lot. Right. <laughs> like, what's going on? What they did talk about was that everything was so siloed for so long. So people grew up and lived in these neighborhoods where everybody was experiencing the same experiences. Mm -hmm. Everybody was having the same problems and everybody was sharing the same joys. So there was no real conflict because everyone could relate to one another. And then when, you know, the internet comes and we have access to all of this mm -hmm. different diversity and these diverse personalities and ways of thinking and things that you haven't thought of before, I don't think everybody knows exactly how to deal with that. They either evolve and learn from that or they go completely backwards and go to the recluse section of that mm -hmm. and say, like, I'm going to go in my little shell and I'm going to re reject anything that's not like me. So that's why sharing stories like yours and being in a place that's diverse like that is probably so attractive. But sharing stories, sharing your poetry so incredibly important so that we can come out of those silos and actually kind of find find ones I guess find other silos that we can sort of go into to feel safe at some points of life when it's appropriate yeah and say like okay you are experiencing the same thing that I have as well and now I can feel safer yeah, and I feel like we do need those little safety nets of communities that make us feel safe in order to be brave enough to venture out and be like, okay, now I can take on other people's experiences and other people's ideas because I first have this foundation of safety. And I think that's the worst thing that sexual trauma does for women is it just strips you completely of that feeling of safety. And I feel like especially like you know, women, whether nature or nurture, you know, I don't want to get into the debate, but my experience of women is like, we are so incredible at connecting, at forming connection, at creating those bonds. It's so beautiful to witness. And it's like having that sort of like damaged and effect negatively affected in any way by something that, I mean, obviously, you know, anybody can be a perpetrator of sexual assault, but the statistics are in and it is primarily men. So it's like, having like a man like in any way affect your ability to create connection or your willingness or your desire to it's like that's just so sad because you need the strong community and that strong connection in order to you know move about in the world from a place of like safety and courage it's well said it is so well said it's because i i think about that a lot too it's like if we don't have those basic needs met 
mainly safety. Mm-hmm. How do you exist in the world? Yeah. yeah. Without crippling fear, anxiety, depression, right. all of the things right. just taking you down. Yeah. And I was, gosh, I, I was at like this like seminar one time uh, during college after everything had happened. And, you know, the motivational speaker came up and he was, he thought he was being very profound. And he was like, if you could have one thing in the world right now, what would you want it to be? And the very first thing that came into my mind, I'm sure he thought, oh, college students are like my dream job or like my degree already or whatever. Very first thing that came into my mind was like, I just want to feel safe. I just want to feel safe again. And it was just this like, and then I think I spent the rest of the next like several years just trying to understand what that meant to me and how to find it and how to create it. Yeah, I think that it's a privilege for many of us to live in a world where we do feel safe because we haven't experienced trauma in that nature. And like, that's the thing. It's like, you never want, oh, like, obviously, like when we use the word privilege, it's like, and that's never a negative thing of like, oh, and if you do just feel safe and you don't have to think about it, you should feel bad because other people don't. It's like, no, 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 no. I just like, I want more people to be like you, to be so unaware of the fact that they should even consider like how unsafe they feel. It's like, I want more of us to be as completely unaware of our own safety as you are exactly like you're happy for those people like I'm so happy for you for not to have experienced that but then you're also saying like but those of us that did are telling our stories and that's what you're doing so um I think another thing that's cool about LA is like I think it's going to I think it's a really safe place to have a book launch you were telling us about your launch party Yes, I am very excited for that. And I think you're absolutely right. LA is probably one of the safer places to launch a book titled All My Favorite Men Are Dead. I'm sure there are a couple of communities in the United States where that would not go over well. (laughs) LA will eat that up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. LA will be like, tell us more. And that's the interesting thing about LA is like in a lot of spaces, there would probably be a lot of men who would just not like that at all and in LA there's probably gonna be even like it'll probably surprise me like how many men will show up and just be like I'm just curious and I'm like go you go you absolutely (laughs) so it is available for pre-order on Amazon currently it is going to be officially published and sent out on October 1st I can't believe that's coming up so soon. I'm so So excited so soon you appear to be very comfortable sharing your story Have you always had this kind of confidence when you are talking about this or has it taken you a while to get here? Yeah, I have not always had this kind of confidence with sharing this. Um, It has taken so many years to get here. I had so much, unfortunately, as as common as it is among um, sexual assault survivors, I had so much shame and guilt. I completely blamed myself. I had an ongoing list of reasons in my head constantly. Anytime I felt good about myself, that would just jump to the forefront of my mind to remind myself why it was all my fault, how I could have stopped it, how, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like everything, everything certain media outlets want you to believe as a woman. And it was just, just running on repeat. Um, One thing that really helped is I started a forgiveness journal, which literally means I grabbed a book. I wrote, I forgive myself for on the cover and I write at least one thing down in it every day. And 
you know what's really amazing is I've gotten to a point where it's it's not every day, but there are some days where I sit down, I open that journal up and I write, I don't have I don't have to forgive myself for anything because I'm trying my best and I know that. And like most days I'm writing down things I have to forgive myself for because I'm holding in guilt and shame and blame. But like it's happened like five times, guys, and I'm really proud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. That gave me full body for chills. For sure. It's a powerful moment. It's like the silliest. Like it sounds like on paper, it sounds so silly. It's like, oh, what is writing down in this like journal really going to do for you every day? But it's like I didn't even realize what I had to forgive myself for like obviously when I opened when I started it it was so I could finally write down on paper like this is this is going to sound crazy but I I needed to write it down and I wrote down I forgive myself for being raped and it's like I am at a place in my healing where that sentence sounds so ridiculous to me now but at the time when I wrote it I'm like I needed to write it and it's like, but then a whole slew of things came out. And it was like, I forgive myself for this like one night, like, you know, in high school when I like made out with like this guy that I didn't even like. And it was like all this other stuff. And then constantly will come out. Like I forgive myself for not being perfect. Or I forgive myself for like not responding perfectly in that situation yesterday and knowing what my friends needed from me so that I could give it to them without them having to ask. And then I write it down and I look at it and I'm like, no one would ever know what somebody else needed without needing to be asked, right. why are you holding yourself to this this insane level that no one can achieve? No wonder you have like gut health issues. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's where you hold so much trauma. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. Experience yeah. with gut health. <laughs> yeah. It's so insane how gut health and, and trauma and anxiety are intertwined. <laughs> We had another guest on whose name was Katie, and she um, had some abuse as a child, and she would talk about how she was like, wait, when she finally started healing, and she said, wait, your stomach's not supposed to hurt after you eat, every single time you eat, and she was like, I kept getting strep throat over and over and over again, and so we, I think we don't give enough credit to the fact of how tightly intertwined all of our physical and mental health is. You have given some amazing and beautiful tips and things that I want to start doing because it's so much easier to write something like I forgive myself for because I live in a world of guilt that's like Mm -hmm. where I reside. (laughs) Um, And so I think it's easier to do that because the thought of journaling is such a daunting thing for me. I don't know why. I consider myself a writer. I love to write, but journaling for some reason is something that I find very difficult. So doing something like that seems a lot more feasible and digestible for lack of yeah. a better oh, word. Boy, well. <laughs> oh boy. For me then, you know, the the task of like actually journaling out exactly what I'm saying. And yeah. it's so much easier too cuz it's like I I've even like numbered them so like as I write them I number them and it's like I only set myself up like you only have to write one a day. So it's like some days I sit, I like, I sit in my chair and I write in that journal and at like 10 minutes later, I've written down like 30 things. Other days I'm like, what do I forgive myself for? And then I like do think of something. I'm like, all right, write it down. I'm done. Close the journal back to life. And, but like, just write down one thing. Cause I know, I know I deal with really bad shame and guilt and blame issues. So I'm like, don't ever not open that journal because you just, you have so much to heal from baby girl. And I want you to heal from it. Cause I love you. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, we need to talk to ourselves more that way, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Self-talk is huge. The way we talk to ourselves matters. It makes a big difference. 
and I've been trying to be very aware of that lately. I caught myself the other day. I was like, and it wasn't even in a body sense. It was like, I needed to take a shower and I was like, I'm disgusting. And then I was like, no, I am not. (laughs) I'm just dirty. Just need to take a shower. That's it. (laughs) Because I say things like that about myself out loud quite often. And usually it's not as menial as just cleanliness. It's usually a lot meaner than that. So I'm trying to be a lot more aware. So you're right. It's self-talk matters so much. And I feel like we need to all just be so much more transparent when it comes to self-talk because it's like genuinely the one thing where it's like nobody's going to know unless you tell them because it's all happening inside your mind. And it's like literally I didn't realize that it's like there were people who talk to themselves the way I do now. Like the way I used to talk to myself, I was like, you dumb, stupid, effing slut. You are such an effing idiot. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe you did this again. Look at you. You look like a whore. Like on and on and on. That's such the way I talk to myself on a daily basis. Like anytime I messed up, I'm like, of course you messed up. You suck. And now it's like the way I talk to myself now, I'm just like sharing this so women know, like if if you're somebody who talks to yourself that way, it is so possible because the way I talk to myself now, I wake up and I'm like, good morning, baby girl. I hope you slept good. Did you sleep good? Like I even ask myself, even though I know the answer, because I'm like, I just want to engage in a dialogue with me. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, literally just like saying the sweetest, nicest things of like, and anytime I feel ashamed now, instead of being like, you're an idiot, I'm like, you know what? We'll do better next time. I love you. I love that. I love it so much. That is a great thing to end on. I love that. Mm-hmm. We'll do better next time. I love you. Yes. I think it's very important to know what kind of impact hearing your story has on me personally because I shared the same shame and self-blame um, for my own assault. And it took me 23 years to realize that it wasn't my fault. And So you saying that you felt the same way because I felt dumb Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when it finally clicked and I was like, wait a second, this wasn't my fault. Like it, it, I know that sounds so silly. Uh, You know, I was like 38 years old and I was finally like, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, And it just, then I felt, then I did more shaming self-talk and saying like, you're so dumb. How could you think it was your fault? And all of those things started flying around my head. So knowing that you felt the same way, helps a lot so thank you for sharing i love that and i am so sorry i am so sorry for what you went through <laughs> it breaks my heart it's like you you know that other women have experienced what you experienced but it's like a part of you almost hopes that you're alone in it because it's so awful you don't want anybody else to have experienced completely agree what is your biggest hope for this book i would just absolutely just break down crying and would just insanely happy tears if even just one woman filled out every other page with like her poetry her truth her writings her drawings like anything and just like showed that to me whether it was like e-show like instagram or like came up to me in person was like i like i worked through all of this and it helped and i think that would just mean so much to me because it would be like oh my gosh i've i've actually made an impact in somebody else's life like that like That would be unbelievable. You hear that, Warriors? Challenge extended. Get your copy and do the work. Yes. (laughs) And get your truth out there, girls. Right. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Thank you for having, like, for creating this podcast. Thank you for being you and putting this out into the world. Because, yeah, sharing stories and, like, 
giving those stories for people to hear and feel seen and validated it's so beautiful so the fact that you guys create a platform where people can come and just share it's it's so beautiful thank you so much gosh that means the world to us that means really so does. much <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that with us and thank you for sharing your story um and having you know the the courage and the bravery to write the book come on the show share your story with other women so that um you know the thing that we all want to do is make it so that people don't feel like they're alone thank yeah. you for helping us do that yeah thank you thank you this episode was brought to you by amy baumgartner and sarah simone the theme song and our other music is provided by Epidemic Sound. This episode was mixed, mastered, and produced by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, consider supporting us on patreon.com slash unqualifiedtherapistsinc. If you have a story to share, email us at unqualifiedtherapists at gmail.com or reach out to us on our website, www.unqualifiedtherapists.com. Until next time, warrior, hold on. We're gonna make it. Shut it out, make it where we go. Where we go, where we go. Yeah, where we are, where we are.